Greetings to each one here this morning in the name of Jesus. The little baby that was born the day that we celebrate his birth. In the back of my mind, I thought today's the day to do something different. And I think I'm going to do that. And so, there's some people among us this morning that really enjoy Christmas. And who might that be other than the children that are among us? I have a story for the children. And I don't know if there's enough room. You may, maybe you need to help me with this too. I don't know. But I would like to read a story as part of the message. And any of you children that want to, just come sit on the floor up here on the front benches or front chairs. Um, I'd like to share a little story with you. And I know that the adults like stories too, so that's part of the reason why I did it. The name of the story this morning is about a man called Jonathan Toomey. The village children called him Mr. Gloomy. But, in fact, his name was Toomey, Mr. Jonathan Toomey. And though it is not kind to call people names, this one fit quite well. For Jonathan Toomey seldom smiled and never laughed. He went mumbling and grumbling, muttering and sputtering, grumping and griping. Mr. Toomey was a woodcarver. In fact, some said he was the best woodcarver in the valley. Mr. Toomey was not an old man, but if you saw him, you might think he was an old man. He walked bent forward with his head down, and though his eyes were blue like the August sky, they were filled with gloom. The village children didn't know why he was so gloomy, but there was a reason, a reason for his gloom, a reason for his grumbling, a reason why he walked, and why he walked hunched over. Do you want to know the reason? You see, years earlier, Mr. Toomey had a wife and a little baby, but his wife and little baby had gotten sick and died. Then Mr. Toomey had packed his belongings and come to live in a tiny house at the edge of the children's village. There he lived in a tiny house and did his wood carving. One day, early in December, there was a knock at the door. Mumbling and grumbling, Mr. Toomey went to open the door. There stood a woman and a little boy. I am Widow McDowell. I am new in this village. This is my son Thomas, said the widow. I need something carved, said the woman. My grandfather carved me a set of Christmas figures when I was a little girl. But in moving here, I discovered they are lost. I had hoped a miracle would happen and I would find them, but the miracle hasn't happened. There are no such things as miracles, the woodcarver told her. Now, describe the figures for me. There were sheep, an angel, Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. Will you carve them for me? I will. Thank you. How soon will they be ready? They will be ready when they are ready. But I must have them for Christmas. They mean so much for me. I can't remember a Christmas without them. Christmas is nonsense, Mr. Toomey said gruffly and shut the door. The following week there was another knock at the door. Muttering and sputtering, Mr. Toomey went to the door. There stood Widow McDowell and Thomas. Excuse me, said the widow. Thomas has been begging to come and watch you carve. I'll be quiet. Please, please, piped in Thomas. 
Grumbling, the woodcarver let them in and pointed to a stool near his workbench. No talking, no jingling, no noise, he ordered Thomas. The widow McDowell handed Mr. Toomey a warm loaf of bread. Then she took out her knitting and sat in a rocking chair in the corner. Not there, bellowed the woodcarver. No one sits in that chair. Quietly, she moved to a straight-backed chair. Thomas sat very quietly. Once he needed to sneeze, he pressed his finger under his nose to hold it back. After a very long time, Thomas cleared his throat and whispered, Mr. Toomey, may I ask you a question? The woodcarver glared at Thomas, then shrugged his shoulders and grunted. Thomas decided it meant yes, so he went on. Is that my sheep you are carving? The woodcarver nodded and grunted again. After a very long time, Thomas cleared his throat and whispered, Mr. Toomey, excuse me, but you're carving my sheep wrong. It's a beautiful sheep, nice and curly, but my sheep look happy. That's ridiculous. Sheep are sheep. They cannot look happy. Mine did. They knew they were with baby Jesus, so they were happy. After that, Thomas was quiet. When the church bells chimed six o'clock, the widow McDowell said it was time to leave. That night after supper, the woodcarver sat down on his bench. He picked up his knife, he picked up the sheep, he worked until his eyelids drooped shut. A few days after, there was a knock at the door. Griping and grumbling, he went to the door. There stood Widow McDowell and Thomas. May I watch again? asked Thomas. After a long time, Thomas spoke. Mr. Toomey, excuse me, is that my angel you are carving? Yes, and would you do the favor, favor of telling me what I am doing wrong? Well, my angel looked like one of God's most important angels because he got to tell the shepherds about baby Jesus. And just how does one make an angel look important? You'll be able to do it. You're the best woodcarver in the valley. That night after supper, the woodcarver sat down at his bench. He picked up his knife. He picked up the angel. He worked until his eyelids drooped shut. A few days later, there was a knock at the door. This time, the woodcarver jumped to answer it. There stood Thomas and Widow McDowell with a bouquet of pine bows and holly sprigs dotted with bright red berries. While Thomas and Mr. Toomey carved, Mrs. McDowell put the bouquet in a jar and found a pretty embroidered cloth in a drawer to set it on. Next, I will carve Joseph. Perhaps before I begin, you will tell me how your Joseph looked? Well, my Joseph was leaning over baby Jesus like he was protecting him. It wasn't until Thomas and Widow McDowell were leaving that Mr. Toomey saw the bouquet and pretty embroidered cloth. I found the cloth in a drawer. I thought it would look pretty on the table, the Widow McDowell said, smiling. Never open that drawer, the woodcarver said harshly. When they left, the woodcarver put the cloth away. And that night, after supper, the woodcarver sat down at his bench. He picked up his knife. He picked up Joseph. He worked until his eyelids drooped shut. A few days later, there was a knock at the woodcarver's door. At the door were the widow McDowell and Thomas. All afternoon, Thomas quietly watched the woodcarver work. This time, it was the woodcarver who broke the silence. Thomas, 
I am about to begin the last two figures, Mary and the baby. Can you tell me how they looked? Baby Jesus was smiling and reaching up to his mother, and Mary looked like she loved him very much. Thank you, Thomas, said the woodcarver. Tomorrow is Christmas. Is there any chance the figures will be ready? Asked the widow McDowell. They will be ready when they are ready. I understand, said the widow, and she handed the woodcarver a package. Merry Christmas. Mr. Toomey folded his arms across his chest. I don't want a present, he said harshly. That is exactly why we are giving it, answered the widow. She put it on the table and left. Left alone, Mr. Toomey sat down at the table. Slowly, he opened the package. It was a red hand-knit scarf. He tied it around his neck. The woodcarver did not eat supper that night. Instead, he began to carve the final figures, Mary and the baby Jesus. He started with Mary. He picked up a block of wood. He tried to carve, but his knife would not do what he wanted it to do. At midnight, he slowly opened a drawer, the very drawer he had told the widow McDowell never to open. From that drawer, he took the embroidered cloth he took out a tiny white baby blanket. He placed each piece gently on the floor and then lifted out a picture frame. In the frame was a picture of a woman sitting on a rocking chair, the very chair he had told the widow McDowell never to sit in. The woman was holding a baby. The baby's arms were reaching up and smiling. The woman and the baby's arms were reaching up and touching the woman's face. The woman was looking down at the baby, smiling. Mr. Toomey went and sat down in the rocking chair, the very chair he had told the widow McDowell not to sit in. He held the picture close to his chest. Two tears trailed down his beard. Finally, he took the picture to his workbench and sat down to carve. His knife now worked quickly and surely. He carved all through the night. The next day there was a knock at the, at the widow McDowell's door. When she opened the door, there stood the woodcarver. The red scarf was wrapped around his neck and in his hands a wooden box stuffed with a straw. A wooden box stuffed with straw. Mr. Toomey, said the wid widow, what a surprise, Merry Christmas. Simply, Mr. Toomey said, simply, Mr. Toomey said, the figures are ready. Silently from among the straw, he took two happy sheep, an important angel, a protecting Joseph, a loving Mary with the, ba with the baby in her arms, a smiling baby Jesus reaching up to touch his mother's face. That day, Mr. Toomey went to the Christmas service with the widow McDowell and Thomas. And that day, the village children saw Mr. Toomey throw back his head and laugh. They never called him Mr. Gloomy again. And at the end here, it says, the Christmas miracle had come.
rest of you can open your Bible to Luke chapter 2. I debated reading quite a bit this morning just because it's Christmas and and just, just hearing again all the things that are in the scripture about Christmas, but I wasn't sure how much time and where that all would hold out, and it is very familiar to us. But I want to uh, look at a number of passages and, and today being Christmas just puts a little more emphasis on it because it, it brings the reason of Christmas so close to home when we gather together on a Sunday, a Sunday that we always gather together to worship, but yet today is the day that we worship on top of it. And, you know, the questions of, you know, why is the birth of Jesus so important and what's it mean you know, we know those. It's the beginning of God's plan of salvation here on earth, uh, beginning. And as I look at Christmas, you know, where would you uh, go besides, you know, the story about Christmas? What, what would you do? And I realized that, as we know it, the, the whole Bible is connected to Christmas. You, you can't really go anywhere. I mean, there's some that are somewhat remote, but... It's God's word to us and his way of showing us, you know, from creation, how he created us and the, the way man went and how he brought us back. And not only where we are today, I didn't have it much in my studies, but what's to come. We talked about prophecy and we don't know what's coming, but we do need or we know that we need to be ready when those things do come. But reading through counts in Luke here and in Matthew, ones we'll be referencing to, I had one name that really was what I wanted to study and preach on, and, and that name didn't have a whole lot to it. But with that in mind, I was reading through these, and all of a sudden, different names started coming out to me and that's what I want to bring out in in a lot of these um, in these uh, scriptures Luke and Matthew is the names that were given to this baby that was born so where is his birth recorded in the Bible Luke chapter 2 and as far as I know this is the only place where specific details are given of how he was born. And if you would read Luke chapter 2, 1 to 20, you wouldn't get much of an overall picture of what's taking place. You would get the details of what took place. And some of that you've heard many stories about no room in the inn, you know, the, the things that Mary and Joseph were dealing with until they found a place. Um, they laid him in a manger, you know, the thoughts of this being where the, the animals were. Uh, and, and the first name that I come to is after the child was born, laid him in the manger, there was no room. 
it goes out, the story goes out to the shepherds in the field, and they were um, greatly afraid when the, the Lord came to them, the angel of the Lord, and the glory shone round about them. And in verse 10 it says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And then verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You start in on those three words there, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And you have a, more than a mouthful in those three words. But that's what's, that's what's given. The, the idea of trying to say who this is. Savior simply means one who saves. A deliverer. And in another word not so familiar, a preserver. And this all has to do with our lives and how we can accept the plan of salvation our spiritual death that we've all been born with, how we can be made alive again and preserved and delivered through Jesus, this baby, as a Savior. The word Christ means anointed one. It also goes very close with Messiah. Messiah, however you want to say it, used two times. Only twice in Scripture is in Daniel 9, 25, and 26, and it is not in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you have the word Christ. The word Christ is not used in the Old Testament. So if you catch that, Messiah used in the Old Testament, Christ used in the New Testament, but the idea was pretty similar about the anointed one. Anointed one kind of goes out in different ways. You think of a king that was anointed, somebody that was chosen, somebody that was a, uh, appointed for something, and the, the um, just the uh, recognition of this certain person being given a job or a task. Um, the priests in the Old Testament anointings were you know, through different things, I, I didn't study a whole lot. But the name Christ means anointed one. And then you have Lord. Lord means authority. And it means to have power. Now I want to look at Matthew 1, 18 to 25. I think I might be able to take time to read that. I'm not sure how much was read or... Um, try to be too uh, repetitive of all the things that you probably maybe heard at Christmas already, but Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25, gives a very good overview of the birth of Jesus. It's not too long, I think I'm going to read it. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. 
But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So here in Matthew you have some more names given. In verse 21 and 25, the name that we all know, when baby was born, his name was Jesus. The name Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew word Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation or Jehovah is the Savior. And there's people today that are named Jesus. How many of you ever heard that? People are named Jesus. How many of you know one that's named Jesus? Now, nobody does. My dad referenced someone he had, there you go, somebody that was named Jesus. And in our mindset, it just doesn't quite fit. There's only one Jesus. But in the, the meaning of the word, it can be used. And like I say, in the Old Testament, Joshua would have been basically the same um, equivalent to it. The other name given here is in verse 23, and that simply is, uh, the last part of the verse says, bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I don't really have any comment at the moment, I'll have some more on that later. Now if we go back to uh, Luke chapter 1, catch a few more details of the story. Luke chapter 1, and we have uh, verses 26 to 38. This kind of backs up a little bit in the story, gives some more um, setting to what was taking place with all, or what all was involved in the birth of Jesus. And I don't think I'm going to read it, just for sake of time again. And so, in uh, verse 31, it's a repeat again. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. But in verse 32, is another name. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Now, son of the highest, and none of these names are any more important. There is more names for God and Jesus than you could ever imagine. I, I remember seeing one somewhere, and it's well into the hundreds, I think, from Scripture of names given. And so I'm not trying to even exhaust the amount of names, but just picking out the names that were given in the birth of Jesus here. It says, He will be 
and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And, and Son of the Highest, the phrase basically means, or another way of reading it is, Son of the Most High. This is the Son of God, the Most High Being, the God. And then we go down to verse 35. Just a couple of verses down. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. might have it in my notes a little bit later, but the marvel of Christmas is, is that God comes down and becomes man and yet is still God. And we call that incarnation. If you didn't know, that is, I think I have the definition later. But the Son of God, it, John 1.14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He became flesh. Now I'll go over to Matthew 2. That's maybe our Sunday school lesson, and if you want to turn to it, you can. There's just one name in there that, as I read about it, um, we talked about it in Sunday school. Not a whole lot. I was curious if it was going to become a topic of discussion, and it did a little bit, but just want to point it out. In Matthew 2, talking about the wise men here, the word Jesus isn't used at all here. It's, it's a different uh, setting, different atmosphere, and... In verse 2, Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, uh, jumps in there. It says, saying, Where is he that is born King of the Jews? That was the name they gave to this one they were seeking, this child. And they said, Where is this King of the Jews? And I don't have much to add to that. It's, it's a basic, simple phrase, King of the Jews. King just simply means a ruler. There's nothing really special about the word king here, at least that I know of. But we know as a king, the Old Testament, when they had a king, it was set up basically for somebody to rule the people. And these people knew that there was, and we talked about in Sunday school, you know, some of the unknowns there, but they, they, they must have known where, that there's a king being born. And the only other name that I can put with this is instead of King of the Jews, which it was, and we know it, but at today, as we know, the, the story unfolded, you know, and Christ is what he did on earth and went back to the Father. Today we know him as the King of Kings. That is who they were talking about here as well. Now, let's go back to the one I said about more on later. And that is in... Matthew 1, you actually just go back a page, and verse 23, that simple name there that just doesn't say much, it says, shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. This is the name that I would have picked out to say, what does that mean? I know what Jesus means, I know it, you know, in, in just basic looking at it, you know what Jesus is, Christ King of Kings, all these names, Most High, Son of God, Son of Man. You can take a lot of those names and you kind of get an idea. But when it says Emmanuel, what's with that? What is involved with it? 
And it gives you the definition right here. It says God with us. Now, what are you going to take from that when it says God with us? So I looked at Emmanuel to try to understand what, what are they doing with this and like why, how's it used and where's it come from. And it's only used three times. It's used two times in Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, and chapter 8, verse 8. And one time here in Matthew. Interestingly enough, this is just repeating what the prophet said in Isaiah. So really it's only used in the Old Testament. And you get that because the name is spelled with an E in the New Testament and it's spelled with an I in the Old Testament. And it doesn't really reference any difference. It's just the way things happen between old and new or through the process of time. So there's not much to learn about. It's God with us. But you, go, you take that phrase, God with us. You probably all would give me a different answer. What you, what you would say, what's it mean when God is with us? And so I picked three ways that I know of. And you may have more. I don't know if add to it would be fine. But the first way is in a general spiritual sense, whether Christian or not, God is with us. He is omnipresent. He is here among us this morning. It's a characteristic of who God is. But you wouldn't say that's all that it is. God is just with us. He is with the world. The people out there, he, he, he's there. I just don't accept him and recognize it. So God, his characteristic of omnipresent, God is with us. But you go, and it doesn't quite seem like that's what they're trying to say here, and I don't think so. So the, the second way that God is with us is Christmas. That the Son of God... Or that God, this is the incarnation thing, which is, a bit, if it's a big word to you, just think of it this way. Incarnation is the union of divinity and humanity. Something divine is of the spiritual realm. Something of humanity is human, the flesh and blood. And when the two mix together, they call that incarnation. Son of God and Son of Man. How can you have a baby born in the sense of humanity being the Son of God? It doesn't really make sense, but it, we take it as faith that that is what is actually happening. So when this phrase says, God is with us, God came in the form of a baby in a physical way, and God, we would say, is with us. The same way I would say any of your names and say, you are with us. And I really think that is the true meaning of what they wanted to say with this name when they say Emmanuel. God is with us. The people that believed that this was God in flesh. He became one of us, a human being. He became a person, like we would know. 
And with that, he gave us an example. Part of him being among us and with us through the mission that God had given him, give his life as a sacrifice for our sins, he, he was an example. Part of that, God being with us, explaining the things of God through Jesus as a man here on earth. I think that would be the, you could say that is, that is all. If you were to stop right there and not know anything else what took place in the New Testament, you would say God is with us. That's, that's all that's left. But I'm pretty sure a lot of you say, no, there's still something else with that. How is God with us today? And the third way I have down is in the rebirth experience, the surrender to Jesus as Lord of your life, His Spirit dwelling in us. And that is, for me today, God with us. More than just an awareness of omnipresent, God's just everywhere. Committing your life to Christ and realizing that now His Spirit, part of the Trinity, dwells inside of you. And no matter where you go and what you do, that goes along with you. I think that's the true meaning today for myself. That's how I apply it, God with us or God with me. So then this brought up in my mind the question of so God with us I rephrase it to the question how close how close are you to God This is the miracle of Christmas our life can be changed and experience closeness with God And if any of you are like me, which you're not, but if you are like me in a spiritual sense, there's times that we want to be close to God, and there's other times that it's hard to be close to God. And I'm not sure how you can grasp this name this morning of God with us, but the day... That is today, where we live now. All the events of Scripture that we have took place up till now with Jesus ascending, going back to heaven, they are the time that we're living in. How close are you to God? And all of us would say we want to be close to God. We want to strive for that. And that is called growing and learning and walking with God. But it, it makes me face reality and says, what is keeping you from being close to God? There's temptations, there's trials, and there's troubles that pound us day in and day out. And these still are no excuse 
to say we can't be close to God. And it's a choice that you have to make if you want to be close to God. And it's hard to know how to use that phrase because you can switch it around and say, well, how close is God to me? You're questioning the capabilities of God. You daren't. God will be as close to you as you are to him. And it is you choosing what you're going to do and how close you want to be to God. The only way to be close to to be close to God is to be free from anything in your life that would become between you and God. And if you feel you are in prison, you can be free. If you feel you are held in hostage, some of you would have remembered the December date, I'm sure some of you had it, the year that took place from when the people were held hostage in Haiti. You could preach a sermon just on that. But if you feel like you're held hostage by something, God can free you of that. And along with that, if you feel you are dead, you can be alive. God has given us life. You can be alive. You don't have to be Mr. Toomey or Mr. Gloomy. Life can have purpose. And lastly, how do you know if you're close to God? I just, I wrote three things down. You may have them different in your life. I put these down for general ways in my life. Not to give me comfort that I have attained a closeness to God. But it's three ways that I feel and I know that give me peace with God. And the first one is, you can experience personal worship to God. The second one, you can see His hand of guidance and direction in your life. I would, I, I, I would challenge you, if you cannot say that God directed in my life, you're not very close to God. And if you can say, I've never experienced backing up to the first one, I don't know what it's like to worship God, you're not very close to God. He asks you to be closer, because all you have to do is step outside on a... Uh, early morning with clear sky and bright stars or late at night or something in creation. There must be something inside you that stirs and reverence and says, God, you are great. If you can't experience some type of worship with God, you're not very close to God. So once you have worship and once you see God guiding in your life, giving you direction and you following that, 
The last one I have down, how to know if you're close to God, if you're willing to be a useful servant in his kingdom. Those three, just kind of a general way of knowing, if you can uh, experience those, and like number three, want to be used in his kingdom, I don't have any doubt you're going to be close to God. There's a song from, I, I looked it up on the internet and it isn't even really on the internet. Somewhere a, a quartet sang it, you know, years back in the 80s, I want to say. I wrote the words down. It, it's sort of in poem form and I just read it as a poem. But it really is, and almost apologize you can't hear the music behind it so I can when I read it I can just hear the music but all of you can only hear the words um, it just reads like this it says a great and mighty wonder redemption drawing near the virgin bears the infant the prince of peace is here the word becomes incarnate and yet remains on high the shepherds hear the anthems as glory fills the sky. The angels sing the story, rejoice, O distant lands. Through valleys, forest, mountains, and oceans, clap your hands. He comes to save all nations. Let all now hear his word. Approach and bring him worship, the Savior and our Lord. Puts the whole Christmas story right in a, just a real, I think just a nice, puts it all together real nice. And this morning, I guess, thinking of the title, Miracle of Christmas, I'm just going to ask all of you to bow your heads and ask yourself the question, how close you are to God. And if you feel that there is something you need to do, whether talk to somebody or repent or surrender something to God, just raise your hand. Shall we bow our heads?